Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Episode 92 of the Leadership Window. I am Patrick Jinks. Glad you're along. Uh, my good friend Ron Harvey is in the studio with me today. He is my he's my regular. He's my he's my repeat. I don't have him on as often as I would like because he's too busy. Because he's too amazing and successful and all that. He's too in demand. But he's a dear friend of mine. I love uh, the relationship that we've formed over the years. He's on my advisory board. Um, we've collaborated on some things together, which has been really cool. Ron is Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at Global Core Strategies and Consulting and based out of here, out of Columbia, South Carolina, where I'm based. But he's all over the place and not just geographically, but sector-wise. Ron works with small businesses, large businesses, government, nonprofit. Leadership is leadership after all. Uh, right, Ron? <laughs> it is. It is, Patrick. Uh, welcome, man. Glad you're here. Um, I, people can go back into the previous episodes to get more of your bio because I want to have just more of the conversation. But what did I miss that everybody needs to know? No, Patrick, nothing. I mean, uh, we know each other pretty well, so I don't think you missed anything. Well, um, so if, if for those of you that have not heard any of our episodes with Ron, here's how it works. It's unscripted. It's kind of, we have a little potpourri. What I like to do with Ron is throw at him questions that have been coming up in my coaching world. So um, that that's kind of, it's sort of, kind of naturally has become that. And then we just have this conversation about leadership and whatever we want. And Yeah, it's a real conversation. It's a real conversation. Yeah, it's a real conversation about what's really happening. We rarely disagree on things, yeah. but we do have different perspectives on things that we've brought out, which I like, and I don't mind disagreeing yeah. on things, not with people like you anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, know your audience. Well, tell me what's new in your world. What's going on with Global Core? What's, what's your latest big stuff happening? I think the, the biggest thing that's happening right now is expansion. Um, you know, figuring out as, as most of America is trying to figure out how to find the right talent, we're expanding. Um, and, and that's not just personnel, that's also footprint, you know, so where we're, we're finding ourselves doing work and, and being able to, to add value to organizations is, is that's getting bigger for us and, and footprint wise as well. So I'm happy about that. And I'm happy to be able to, to do in, in our space is being able to help business owners, not just start a business, but stay in business. Mm. And so what I see now me doing is, is so different from when I first started my company, I almost felt like a hobby. I felt like I, I knew leadership really, really well. But now it's, it's shifted to where I actually want to make an economic impact. You know, I really want to put people to work and, and watch families grow and send, send people off to college and, and close some of the wealth gap that people talk about. But to, to go from like this thing of me making money to actually taking care of families. Well, that's what your latest book is all about. And that was, I know that was not a plug for your <laughs> yes. book, but it made me think about it because you're talking about going from success to significance yes. and that's the turning point in leadership. Um, I sent that book to a couple of people this past week, um, as gifts, because they're in spaces where, uh, one in particular, um, looking at life beyond retirement of a single career after many years and not, not going to stop working, but kind of, kind of out of that space, um, intentionally and is asking the what's next question and the significance question. And, um, so I've, I've sent the book to a few people like that, that, um, 
have come across that conversation. There's a, a book by Marshall Goldsmith called The Earned Life. Yes. The Earned Life or An Earned Life, I always forget. But it's very similar. And I read both of, of you, both yours and his around the same time. And they were really helpful to think about the difference between you, you guys are, were, it was almost like you were copied each other's notes yes. um, to some degree, but the message is so clear. And what I got out of it was we, we shared this. I asked you if I was right and you said I was. So I'm going to say <laughs> that success is about um, yourself and significance is about others. Absolutely. And you and I are, you know, we, we're six, I consider myself successful, certainly consider you successful. You know, our businesses are successful. We've accomplished things. We've achieved certain things. We're, we're running our own businesses, right? That's success. That's about us and our families and our fulfillment. Absolutely. And and I like to believe that I've had significance along the way in that too. That's the whole point. But when you start thinking of it in terms of, okay, what's the balance? What am I, am I, am I more focused on success right now in the business or am I more focused on the significance I bring to the table? Yeah. I think that that's what brings us together all the time. You know, that I become a regular guest on the show and I really enjoy it because it allows us to do exactly that. Um, you know, so as you put on this, this podcast, it's to make a a, a difference and for people that are listening, we contribute something that, that does something significant for them. You know, so I enjoy coming in and showing up, you know, with no expectations other than to really serve. Yeah. And just be ourselves. Yeah. Have fun. Yep. You know, and by the way, get get some kind of lunch somewhere. So, you know, lunch is always invite, invited into our conversation. So, and, yes. And it's not just any lunch. <laughs> yes. Mexican lunch. That's right. Yes. Say, it's got to be. <laughs> Patrick's gotta favorite. Be. But I love Mexican food, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um well, listen, um, so I don't, I don't want to delay lunch too long. <laughs> yes. So let, let's get into it. There's, there's been a few things. Um, some of these are probably things that we've talked about before. And so these are all over the place. I've got, I have five questions for you today. Okay. On items that have just been kind of on my radar lately, either in coaching conversations or just things I've been to, or I'm reading or I'm listening to, or just my own perspective. Okay. And, and I'd love to get your take on it. Okay. So my first question has to do with artificial intelligence and I'm kind of, that's a focal point for me right now. I just did a workshop with the together SC consultants and showed them chat GPT, for example, and went through some demonstrations of what it's capable of. And, um, and I looked on the zoom screen and saw everybody's faces were white and with terror (laughs) and, you know, AI is taking over the world. And I mean, really, they were like, this is scary. just spits out, you know, Hey, I need a coaching contract with an executive. Give me one. (laughs) And boom. And there it is. It's legal. Um, and so recently I did, um, I recorded it'll, it'll air. It's going to be a few weeks because you're going to, you know, you're airing now. Um, I got Charles Weathers is coming on, uh, is our next episode. That's going to be fun. We're going to broadcast from a baseball game. And then, uh, but then I'm going to air a podcast episode that I did with chat GPT. Wow. Chat GPT is my guest. And we're talking about nonprofit leadership. Wow. And Ron, wait till you hear the responses to my questions and our conversation. Amazing. It is, it is rich content. It's actually not just, you know, it's, it's, relevant, uh, on point content. Absolutely. And it really is amazing. And then, um, last time on our last episode of this podcast, we had mentor dial talking about artificial empathy and how they're pr- trying to program more empathy into AI. Yes. How do you program AI to be empathetic? 
I think, and you have to pay attention to that. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah, you do. Well, because if we're using AI on our businesses, you know, we want to be empathetic. You know, how do we, how do we make it about the customer? How do we make it about the donor? Yes. How do we make it about the employee? Yes. We're using AI for so many things now. That's the human element of it. And so how do you program it to, to pick up the human element? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Mentor does. Yes. Go back and listen to that episode. But here's here's my question. I don't know how much you're seeing in the world of AI, how familiar you are with it, or what you're seeing in the business world. But are you seeing AI and do you do you are you one of these, man, I'm all in. I love this stuff, or are you one of these mm, I don't like AI? And what what's what's your thought on all this? Yeah, I'm seeing it. So, you know, the first question you know on the table for us is am I seeing it? Absolutely. And and the second question is, I'm all in. Um, and the reason I'm all in is because AI has been around forever. If, if you really think about it, if you think about the weather, it's a prediction. And we've been predicting weather forever using instruments and putting I mean, very, very poorly, by the way. Yes. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we've got, I think we've, we've, for us, AI has been around, you know, so when I go see my doctor, it's a prediction of what's going to happen to me based on some data point somewhere or whether, what course do I put my kid in school in? Predictions. So predictions have been around forever for mankind. I think we're becoming more comfortable allowing it to, to happen faster. And I think we're, as human beings, the one thing that we're nervous about is not knowing what's going to happen. It, absolutely. We'd, we'd rather, we'd rather know that something is not good than to not know. Yes. <laughs> that, and, and so that's the, the, the part, but I'm all in and I'm and, and AI's, it, there's some risk associated with it, but I'll tell you the benefit of why I'm all in is it allows me to be more efficient allows it to be more e- effective. It can allow me to be accurate to a degree um, and allows me to do, provide better customer service faster to the people I serve. How are you using it? I use it to really be, do more research, understanding what's happening more than just in my zip code. So when you when I'm using AI, I'm actually pulling data for leaders to say what's happening across the globe versus what's happening in your industry. So it mm-hmm. gives me a, a perspective of a leader versus a person that's in the industry that gets boxed in oftentimes with our, our, our limited thinking. And every human being has limited thinking. You know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. AI allows me to learn what I don't know. So when I'm working with my organization, there are things that my clients ask me I'm not even sure of. And I say, let me, let me check and see what other people are doing in my space, in your industry or outside of your industry, but still leadership that we can both have sight of. So AI gives me insight to things that I would have never had insight to that you and I conversation is still limited now, still good, very fruitful. But what if we tapped into it and had the conversation with people that we've never met that have thought about it and gone through some of the same patterns, you know, so it's trained how humans think. So AI has helped me take better care of my customers. Yeah. Um, that is, that, that opens up several things. One, I'm, I'm not quite using it in that manner, maybe a little bit on the research side. Two is the, part of what the skepticism or cynicism or fear or whatever it is of AI is in the research field. Absolutely. Because of plagiarism. And so everybody's wondering, you know, is AI plagiarism and where does it get its data? And if I ask it to, you know, there's the whole debate about, you know, are students using it yes. now to write papers? And well, yes, they yes, are. They are. Um, and there's now there's software that can actually uh, detect whether or not there's an AI component in the, by the language and because it can use the same algorithms yes. and things. But it's from what I've been able to see so far, it is not plagiarism per se. You do have to go behind it and, and 
you might have to tweak some things, but it's not actually borrowing language from a journal, for example, yes. and saying, here's the answer. It's programmed with that it's data in data out. So it's, it's not just getting information programmed into it from a billion sources. Yes. It's getting taught. It's, it's been taught or being taught how to interpret all that information together and give you a synthesized view of what's out there. Like, so it's different. It's the same. Yes. I mean, we're doing it when we research for a paper. I mean, we're going and looking for somebody else's perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the important piece of it is it's interpreting data from millions of sources. Mm -hmm. And it's pulling this here out of 10,000 people. We looked at this question. Here are the perspectives. So it's not like, hey, Patrick said this. Or Ron said this, and, and I'm not giving Patrick or Ron credit. Mm -hmm. It's pulling billions of data points and pulling together and giving you something. So it can change every second based on what, what's inside of the, the, the data that's coming in. So I think we do get a, afraid of plagiarism. Well, we can if, if AI can can help us come up with that data, I'm sure, I'm sure we can create a system to minimize it. Plagiarism is, has been around forever. It will be around. But that shouldn't stop us from using a system that makes us more effective. So yeah. we can put a system in place to manage that more effectively. We're never going to be 100% at managing plagiarism, but we can get better at it. Well, that's right. And and if you look at the, uh, uh, maybe this, I don't know if this is a fair um, analogy or not or parallel, but statistics. Yes. Well, there's math behind statistics. There's also Microsoft Excel. Absolutely. Like, you know, why do I need to know? <laughs> Microsoft Excel will do it for me. What I need to understand is the concept of what it is I'm asking Excel to do. I need yes. to understand what's happening and what it's telling me and how to ask it for that. Yes. The same with, you know, um, IBM's got the, what is it, SPSS or yes. whatever, the quantitative data stuff. So you don't, it's, it's all built for us so that we don't have to sit and write tablets full of long math to figure things out yes but is that hurting us ron in i don't have to learn that hard math. yeah well I, don't, I think there's 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 some things to pay attention to i totally agree that we don't want to lose the human element of it but i will say patrick it's probably going to hurt us more not to use it so when i'm looking at maya who's who's in ninth grade in order for her to be competitive on a global scale not america a global scale which we're going global whether we want to or not in order for her to be competitive on a global scale, AI is going to play a role in her life. Whether I agree or disagree, like or not like, AI will be relevant because every other country is paying attention to it and using it and figuring out how to navigate more effectively, efficiently, cost saving, but managing risk. Well, I agree. It's 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 here it's whether here. you like it or not, and we're gonna have to get on board with it. But does it, it is it making us lazy too? I don't know because that's the first answer people will say is it will make you lazy. I think we got to I got to teach Maya to still understand the processes, but here's how to do it. You know, people will say it will make you lazy. Those that are going to be lazy, will, it's, that's, you're not going to prevent that from happening. But I will tell you that it hasn't made me lazy in my company by using AI. I still do the hard work for my client. It still doesn't, it doesn't get into the human relationship piece of it. You, you can't get lazy there. But does my client want me to take 10 hours to do something I can do in one hour and give them the results that they need that's probably more effective than me spending 10 hours? So my client wants me not to be lazy but they want me to be more efficient and time saving and cost saving. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, a social media coordinator that's looking for, you know, content posts for, you know, Instagram every three hours of, of every day. Well, you can go to artificial intelligence and say, Hey, I need 50 social media posts, Twitter sized yes. 
about empathy in the workplace and boom, and you don't have to use them word for word. You can tweak them, but boy, you've sure got a foundation that would have taken you hours and hours. And this took you three seconds. Yeah. And I think that's where we don't get lazy is don't use it word for word. Yeah. And I don't think my client wants that because my client can do that. Yeah. But I think what my client says is I want you to take entire your expertise into what's given to you and make it personal about what you offer to us. You know, even for our clients, we even though we have things that we've done for a previous client, Patrick, we never roll out the exact same thing. Yeah, that's right. Because it's just a different organization with a different culture and a different request. So we, we want to make sure we modify to to meet the expectations and make it personal about the person that we're dealing with. Yeah. What's interesting about chat GPT is if you ask it the same thing twice, it'll give you slightly different. Yes, absolutely. It's not going to give you word for word, the exact same content it just gave you, which I think is interesting. Well, that's human beings though. Think about it. I know. Because all this is developing. Yeah. We don't say things the same way twice. Absolutely. I've never made a keynote that was the same, even though the topic was the same. I I run into it all the time. I'll say something profound and and in a small meeting and they'll go, Oh, say that again. I want to write that down. I'm like, I can't. No, that was chat, that was that was Chat GPT. That was Patrick GPT. That was in real time, in real and I don't. Time. I yeah. So yeah, and but there. That's how they're. That's how they're programming yeah. this stuff. Um, the Google. We won't stay on this too much longer. But the guy from Google that's considered the father or grandfather of AI or whatever, yes. the Godfather. I don't know what yes. they call him, but he, the big deal left Google to actually warn the world. I mean, he left mm-hmm. Google to say. Hey y'all, this stuff we're creating, uh, we might have gone too far. I mean, literally, yes. they're saying that. Yes, yeah. We I think there's a fear. Far. Yeah, I think there's fear with and and it's expensive. I, mean, I don't know if we have the systems in place to protect us yet with it. To be quite honest, because cybersecurity is real. So I think we do have to figure out how do we protect what we're doing and it doesn't get out of control. And I think there has to be boundaries to everything that we do. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a leader of. There's two ways I don't operate. I don't operate with fear and I don't operate in fear. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I want to take calculated risk. I want to get better. And so I want, I don't want it to be to a place where I'm telling my daughter that in order for her to be competitive, not to touch Like remember growing up and your parents, don't touch that VCR. You know, some people I probably dated myself there. Don't touch this. You're going to break it. Yeah. Well, if I break it, maybe I'll learn something on how to fix it. So I want to make sure that we don't put ourselves in a position where we're operating from this fear based place while the rest of the world is leaving us behind. Mm. Look at bed, bath and beyond, if you will going out of business yeah why because e-commerce they were slow to move that they're gonna have to make sure that they can provide to their customers quicker than just walking into the store That's and right. they didn't embrace it soon enough right. so i want to make sure that we're balancing in a calculated paying attention to the risk but i don't want to slow our country down or our society down because i'm nervous about what we we can or can't do how many times has maya been told well you're, you're ahead of your time and you're doing this too soon i mm. say based on what yeah based on your limited belief mm your fear, what you're accustomed to, because her world and her career is not even, it's not even, we don't even know what it is yet. True. But there's the okay, balance. The other side yes. of that is there is something to wisdom. There is something to people who have walked a path. I mean, how many times have you, you know, yeah, absolutely. Have you mm-hmm. told your kids, told you so, Yes. you know, you wouldn't yes. listen. Yes. I told you, I've seen this. I know this. Absolutely. That's a fine line, isn't it? it Between, is. it, you know, the, the letting them live their own experience in life and maybe learn and do it differently but also learn from the wisdom. Think of how many, how many problems have created better solutions. And you're exactly right. They're going to encounter their own problems that we're going to, they're going to have to figure out a different way. That's faster. Like my daughter will not need to know how to parallel park. Mm. But a car can park itself now, but if you can how afford many, it, how many, yeah. How many people flunked the, the, the driving test because they couldn't parallel park? 
Well, I know a lot of people that need to go buy that car, though, Ron. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite here. It's here, but it's not prevalent. Yeah, everybody can't afford it yet. Uh, no, uh. Um, let me let me jump to the next yes. topic. This is a big one, okay? And it's way off the topic of AI. Well, kind of, it's all. I guess everything could be integrated into the AI um, conversation, but um, DEI, yes, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Big movement in DEI. It's been around a long time in some form or another, but big, big movement and explosion in the wake of George Floyd in 2020 yes. and, and all of this. So it's, it's, it's saturating. It's, it's, it, it is the thing, right? It's yes. the big thing. It is so big. I'm going to leak out a little of my own perspective on this, but I'm coming to a question for you. It's, it's become such a big thing that many organizations that is not only the lens through which they try to view all their work, but it's become just the work. Yes. You know, gone to conferences that used to be about fundraising and, you know, grant management and, and, uh, um, you know, board engagement. And, and these conferences have turned into, at least temporarily, DEI conferences. Yes. Right. DEI consultants are a plenty now, right? There's Absolutely. so many of them. Organizations now have DEI officers. Yes. Um, Here's the, here's my question. I was, uh, I was conversing the other day with, um, uh, Dr. Sean Edwards. Do you know Sean? Yes. She is a DEI consultant, like for real. Yeah. She was DEI officer at the Citadel. Like she's the <laughs> real deal. She was on my show not long ago. Um, sometime I guess last year and really opened my eyes to the practical, what really is equity. Yes. What's the work? I think a lot of people are asking the question, I hear you saying these terms, but get, what is the work? Like, what do you do? <laughs> right. Yes. What does a DEI yeah. officer like yes. do? Yes. And she was real. I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that. Find Sean Edwards on the, on the podcast page and listen to that episode because she gave some really practical um, answers. I asked her the other day, and this is the question I'm going to ask you is what I'm going to call wokeism. Yes hijacking real DEI. And before you, before you, let me, let me give a little bit of nuance to that question. From my perspective, it appears that there are factions or people or groups who have figured out that if we call this DEI, Yes. Right now we're seizing a moment and, and we, and we win. Like yes. we can get, we can get this if we use it through the lens of DEI. And Absolutely. that's where a lot of the contra, very controversial quote, woke things yes. are coming in. And in my opinion, I think that that has, I think that the whole DEI movement as important as it is sometimes seems to be getting in its own way. Yes. To accomplish what it purports to accomplish. So this is what I want to ask you. That That's the question. Is yes. wokeism hijacking actual DEI? And is DEI getting in its own way of actually achieving what it purports to achieve? Well, what your perspective on this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white leader. You're yeah. a black leader. Yes. We're a, you know, <laughs> yes. I don't know about the political ideology differences and things, but I'm trying to hear from a, a number of people different from me on that issue. Yeah, which your which, thoughts? Yeah, so so you know to, to lean in where you say, hey, we 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 are different. You and I are, are vastly different from each other, but we have a lot in common as well. Which leans into wokeism, 
like, do I become more woke about what's around me, what's happening, who else is doing something different? So I become more, more aware, if you will, is what I call wokeism. I become more aware. Now, that doesn't mean I become an advocate. That doesn't mean I begin to get work done. I just become more aware. You know, so when you woke, you become more aware of things. Now, that doesn't mean you're putting in the work. That doesn't mean that you're doing the things that need to be done. But I just become more aware. And so when I think of is is wokeism hijacking DE&I? No. Can it? Absolutely. But is it hijacking it right now? Will there come a time where we need to pay closer attention? I think it, there's a component of wokeism that fits into DNI. I truly do. Because I need to, in DNI, I got to allow people to be be different, become more aware, become more alert, regardless whether they agree or disagree with me. So when they become more woke to what's happening around you, some people are tired of DE&I. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to say that they're wrong or, or right. What I'm just saying is that I'm stating the fact some people have, based on my interactions and engagement, have become frustrated with hearing it so often. Mm. And I tell people, you know, my personal opinion, hey, welcome to my world. I'm 56. I've had to talk about it all my life. So am I tired of it? I can't be tired of it mm. because it's a part of my daily life. That, that's perspective right there. That's perspective. We, we all need to hear so Good I, reminder. Yeah. So I think for me is that, you know, um, do I want to have, have that to be a conversation or part of my life every day? No, I wish I can walk in and not have to ever talk about it, but our society's not there yet. Um, am I frustrated with it? No, I just, it's a real fact that we're just not there. Patrick, you and I can walk into a room and, and people will see us different because of their own bringing upbringing or, or, or their own place where they grew up or what they've been taught and educated about. But to answer the question, is it hijacking? I don't think it is now. I think people are trying to leverage it that way um, because they want to find another creative way to talk about what makes them uncomfortable or talk about a way to 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 be able to minimize some of the impact that we're trying to have. DE&I is more broad, and it talks about initiatives and processes and procedures. Wokeism just means you become alert. And because I become alert, don't mean I'm doing anything about it. I like your definition of wokeism. But I don't know that that's the prevailing definition of wokeism. Yeah, I like it. It yes. will, you know, because the word woke, awake, right? Yes. I'm awake to it. I see. I see yes. it now. I see. You know, I get it. Um, t- to me, honestly, the wokeism as as I see some yes. of it is, um, it is a dogma. That's fair. And, and it's, you know, it, this is where, this is what I mean by DEI getting in its own way sometimes is you're right. We're not there, whatever there is, but we're not there. My concern is that we, we might be in some ways getting further away from it Mm -hmm. because we're using this sledgehammer. Yes. This is what, I think this is why people are tired of DE, DE and I, because it feels like a, some, you know, the, 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 the people who are woke, right. They, yes. They've seen, they, they're in the light yes. <laughs> are, are, are beating. Yes. And people feel beat like just, okay. Like yes. I get, and here, let me give you an example. Um, I think that DEI, unfortunately it, it's politicized. Yes. Uh, it's so unfortunate because I am always a, I use the word hijack a lot. I don't like that a political, a political ideology can literally hijack a perfectly legitimate English word like equity. Absolutely. Right. That's a real word. It yes. means something yes. and it's important and we should be seeking to achieve it. That's, Absolutely. that's humanity. Right. Yes. I had a, a, an organization um, share with me that they had some members of their board that were really concerned about this equity work we're doing. Yes. 
And so, okay, so we had a conversation with the board and we looked at some of the data in their community, some educational yes. achievement gaps yes. in their community. And the, the board members who were so-called against equity weren't. Nope. What we did is in facilitating that meeting, I consciously made a decision to not use the word equity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we look at data and we go, what, what's this data say? Well, it says there's this huge achievement gap between white kids and black kids, yes. for example. Wow. Hmm. What do you, what do you think is driving that? Right. Oh, well, you know, there's, there's these, there's generational poverty in these neighborhoods and there's this and there's that and there's lack of access and there's, and these are, these are, this is coming from the people who, right. Are yes. quote against yes, equity. It, yes. What, what's this organization's role in, well, we've got to find ways to, you know, even, even the playing field and Absolutely. give it, and we're sitting there and I'm going, congratulations. You're having a conversation about equity. Yes. How you feel. But because it wasn't in this, the language has been, the language has been hijacked in my view. It's like, we can't get past it to get to the real essence of what the words are and what we're trying to do with it. Yes. Because we're beating the labels in. Yeah. And I think that's important for you to think about. So, so you, you know, your question is, is wokeism hijacking DE&I? In your, in your example that you shared with us, you help them become more awoke without using a language to still get to the point that we needed to get to. Right. That's why I think wokeism is a component of DEI. I don't think I helped them become aware of it. I think I... You created space. I revealed that yes. they are aware of it. Yes. Without using language. And, and yeah. so I became awoke. So, hey, let me just walk through what you're seeing here. And they became, hey, there, there is, a, there is a, a gap, yeah. which is what we really want to identify. Let's become more aware of the gap. Then we look at what are the contributing factors to the gap. Yeah. And they come to the same level. I think you're exactly right. I've been DNI for years. And I think the one thing that we didn't do really, really well, Patrick, is is not beat people over the head with it. I totally agree with that. So how do I make sure that when I'm doing DEI, the person that wants to support me, I want to make sure that I invite them to the table and don't feel beat over the head to support me. Mm -hmm. And and I will tell you, when we first started, the, the average white male would probably attend one DEI session. And be like, no, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to be beat over the head with it. Now, do I have my white counterparts that I need at the table? Absolutely. But I don't want anybody. Here's the language I use for everybody. I want people to feel invited to the conversation versus indicted during the conversation. And if you start <laughs> making people, people feel indicted, they begin to not show up anymore. You know, I've been in meetings, Ron, where, and, and by the way, the DEI space in the wake of the George Floyd yes. um, situation was mostly about race. Absolutely. Which is historically a thing in this country, it right? It is. It's been about but it. But it, now it's not about race anymore. Yep. Well, it is. It is. It's, I mean, it's still but, there. But now it's about the gender and, and, you know, the use of pronouns. And listen, I've been in meetings where people got reprimanded for not using the most current uh, acronym of LGBT. I think it's LGBTQI. A, I think, yeah, and I don't want to on, but, on the podcast but, mess it up, but you're right. It but no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying uh, people, it, it has changed. Yes. It's evolved. Yes. And so I, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk about it on the podcast because I don't, I, I'm not, I'm going to resist. If someone were to call me or email me and say, I can't believe you slaughtered that, that acronym on your podcast, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. Well, it's a real conversation because, because you're, you're getting at. That, that's the hammer I'm talking yes. about. That's the indictment yes. that we're talking about. Yes. Teach me. Yeah. You know, tell, you know, it's fine to say, Hey, by the way, I know I heard you talk about this on your podcast. Here's the deal. And here's why it's changed. And here's, you know, there's actually several versions of it and it depends on kind of, 
But there's a lot of, we got to, if we say we want to have the conversations, have the conversation, then let's have it, yes. you know, and, and let's have a conversation and not a, I totally agree with you. Not a that, sermon. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what we, we can do better at is having the conversation without coming in with the biases or judgment, or I got to agree, I got to disagree with you. Like really have the conversation, which I've been most effective at having the conversation. You know, is it uncomfortable sometimes? Absolutely. Even in the community where, where people ask, Hey, do you prefer to be called black? Or African American, I say. Well, honestly, I prefer to be called Ron. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Let's start there, so you could just see me as a human being. Yeah. And people laugh about it. Like I said, no, seriously. I said because that's where we get stuck at. Can we talk about the other things? Let's just get to here. And I say, and that's different in communities. But that's not their fault for not understanding that because they're getting language from Absolutely. everybody else that says, no, Ooh, you have to absolutely. say black. No, absolutely. we prefer African-American. And you're, so you're so right. And, and that's what I tell people. I say, it just depends. And, and, and that's the, 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 the space where we struggle at it because it changes so fast in front of us, around us, with us, what the policy says that you actually got to get to know the person and then you know what to do with that's, the person. That's, that's, that's good. That's why you're on the show, Ron. Yeah, you got to get to know the person. <laughs> that's why we bring Ron yeah, back yeah. every I so often. I think all those things are relevant, Patrick. Like for you and I, I learned so much about you. Like I come here and, and I love Mexican food. Who would see you and I without even knowing that the fact that, you know, you think I'm a brother and I'm going to say soul food first. No, I love soul food, but it's not the first meal I pick. But people will make a judgment and say, let's do this. No, I actually, let's go do something healthy. Let's, let's go. I mean, my wife and I go to Mexican food. I mean, we enjoy it. Mm. So when you get to know people, then you get to make the right call or the right conversation. But I think where we're missing it more than anything else in our country is we will not take the time to get to know each other. Couldn't agree more. And it's becoming more difficult. Absolutely. And, and now let's go back to the AI. AI you know, I was going to say that, right? Well, and it's not even just AI, but it's, it's our reliance on, um, I'm going to tell you, I hate Zoom. I hate yeah. it with a passion now. <laughs> it's a wonderful piece of technology yeah. that is great to be able to do things you couldn't do otherwise, yes. but it has become a fallback now. Yes. It, it, to me, it's become a cop-out for board members to say, uh, I can't be at the meeting, but can I call in on Zoom? Like, no, you know, back in the day, look, no, if you couldn't be at the meeting, you missed the meeting. Yes. And and the reason is because, and, and I people disagree with me on this. They'll say, but Patrick, you know, wouldn't you rather engage? This is inclusive. Zoom is inclusiveness, yes. right? You're giving them access <laughs> yes. to a, a meeting that they wouldn't be able to be at. Yes. It is. Yes. Yes. But at what cost? Yes. The cost is it's distracting to the people that did get up and put yes. shoes on. Yes. And get in their car and, and gas it up and come to, to, to connect with people and make eye contact yeah. and put their hand on somebody's yeah. shoulder and, and read body language and have chemistry in a room that you can't replicate yes. on Zoom. Yes. So, you know, it's like, yeah, what you just said, people need to get to know each other. And yet we're making it harder and harder and harder to do that. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I don't dislike zoom. I'll tell you, you know, so Patrick and I will see it. I, I think you're absolutely right. There are some people being lazy. And they're using Zoom because they're lazy. You're on a call with me next week yes. with our advisory board. Yes. But we've got Orlando, Palm Beach, Salem, Oregon, uh, uh, California. Yes. We So, yes, Zoom for that. Yes. And, and that's why I think we get to leverage it. But, but I do agree that there are some people using Zoom to be lazy. So I have to go back to, like you said, AI. Is it making us lazy? Those that are going to be lazy will be lazy. But if I care enough about you, I'm going to show up if, if the opportunity allows me to do it. So I'm going to tell you that technology is good, 
but you also can't let technology get in the way of the human relationship and the contact. You just said it. If I care about you, if I care. So what is the message? If if I don't, yeah, I mean, if I don't show up, if I show up and I leave my screen black, yes. You know, what does that say? We would, we walk into a meeting with a bag over our head because we didn't want people to see our, that we didn't comb our hair that morning. Absolutely. And I use that analogy all the time too, Patrick. And and I'm a zoom guy. You'll see me do a lot of stuff on zoom, but you also see me in a lot of face to face. By the way, I'm going to lose about a thousand listeners this week. I don't think you will. I think it's a good conversation (laughs) for us to have. You know, the one thing you and I do is we talk real about real things and we don't have to agree on it. We can see it different, but the uniqueness of our society is I can sit in a room where someone sees it different think there's a different way to do it and get better with it. You and I actually get better in this space. We do. We do. But it's like walking into a meeting on Zoom. As much as I I enjoyed using Zoom because it's helped my business grow, helped me reach people I would have never reached before. It helped me become smarter. I'll be honest. Same here. Same here. It literally helped me stop getting boxed into my zip code. Mm -hmm. It actually added value. But I will tell you, every meeting I have, I encourage and invite everybody to come on camera. I encourage and ask everybody to. I do to, too, but they don't do it. They don't. They don't do it for me either. And I say, what it makes me feel like at that moment is like you came to the meeting, but you stood in the hallway. Yeah. And and that I have to mentally get past. I, I think it's worse than that. I think you came to, I think you put a microphone in the room. I think you bugged the room. Yes. You know, it's like, it's I, to me, there's, there's messaging in it. I don't, I don't think people yeah. are, are talking about it. The other thing is, and we'll move on to the next yes. topic. The hybrid meetings yes. are really what gets me. I'd rather have the whole meeting on zoom or all in person or all in person. Yeah. I when think, you try to put someone on a screen and you're doing this and there's a, you're breaking out into, mm-hmm. into groups and you're connecting, you're playing game, maybe yes. icebreaker, maybe, yes. you know, different things. Uh, and, and the person, you know, you check in with them, Ron, what, what are your thoughts? Yes. Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. Not, Ron, not went, a, Ron went to get a peanut butter yes. sandwich and he'll be yes. back. His screen is on. Well, I think Ron's still here, but yes. it's so distracting and it's, and that's the people that are there pay a price. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. All those are, are, are the consequences of using zoom, but then on the other side, the benefits of using it. And I'll tell you, Patrick, yeah. I've adapted. Um, I literally have adapted because when I first started, I'm like, how am I going to, how's my business going to survive? And then Zoom showed up and, and, it, and it helped me figure out. Now, it's not perfect. I, I have to agree with you 100%. It is not perfect for connecting. Yeah. But I will tell you, because it's it's cost effective, I don't think we're going to get away from it. And there are people that's going to leverage it because it saves money from a hotel, travel. and. I do agree with you 100% that it doesn't allow us to build the relationships we need to build all the time. Yeah. If we rely on it, yeah. I guess I, yeah. you know, I, so I say, I hate it. I, I'm just, I'm frustrated, frustrated by it you. a lot. I yes. love it. I love technology. You know that you're in my you studio. Do. You see, you know, my technology, yes. I've done workshops on technology. Yes. I love it. I use it. I love zoom. It's amazing technology. And I know how to, I've become good at it as a facilitator. Yes. I know how to, I know all the little tricks and tips and things, but it's like, it's, but it just, if, 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 if we can have the meeting in person, then let's do it. Yeah, and I think we're, that's we, my, that's, I think we're getting back there too. People are coming back out now. Yeah. They are. I'm well, starting to see. And, yeah, more and more are. We're doing a conference, Patrick, and I can tell you I had the hardest time finding a venue again because people are coming back out. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to shift gears. I'm getting hungry. Um, you're on – how many How many boards are you on right now? I know of one board, your nonprofit board that you're on – 
You've been on that's not your first nonprofit board. Yeah, yeah, I'm on four four boards in the city. Okay, um, that I do different things. So for. here here's a question for you. Um, I don't know that we ask board members this question enough. I okay. don't think we. I think we miss an opportunity to learn from our board members. Yes. We're always thinking about. I got to educate my board. Well, you know they can educate you too. Yes. <laughs> here's here's what I'd like to know from you is, what have you learned, or do you feel like you are learning about the sector? and about nonprofit leadership from your board chair? Yeah. I, I, the first thing I learned serving in nonprofit space is how complicated it is to run a nonprofit organization. <laughs> because, it, you know, in that space, what I've learned is, you know, the dynamics between the, the, the CEO or the president and a board chair. And in, in a for-profit organization, when, when you're running it, your organ, that hierarchy is a little different, and, and, and there's a lot of things that you get to do as a president and a CEO that you don't need to do. You don't have to get a lot of approvals for from, from anybody, quite honest. In a nonprofit, that's not reality. In a nonprofit, that governance committee or that body that helps your organization stay afloat, you kind of got to have a very healthy relationship with them to be successful as a CEO. So I've learned a lot of leadership differences in there. But what I have noticed is there's one thing that's common across all of them is the power of relationships. And if you're not, why am I not surprised to hear you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's what I've learned from my military career, from my personal relationships, from me being in this community, no matter what I've ever done, the price of relationships have helped me get more than my degree has. Like people have asked me more about me and connecting with them than they've ever asked me what my degree is in. Sure. Like most people don't even know what my degree is in. But they know the connection they have with me and that they can count on me, they can trust me, I have integrity, and that I'm a dependable, all those, those, what, there's some new language out there right now uh, that, that's, that's new in our industry, Patrick, and, and we used to call it soft skills. Right. It's changed to power skills. I like that better. It is actually I never liked soft skills. It, it is actually shifting right now across. So if you're listening and you're watching and you're into the industry that Patrick and I are in, organizations like Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 50 companies are calling it power skills. And the reason is because if you don't have these, you lose power. So let's go back to DEI. Yes. Because in the nonprofit sector, um, it's more than a handful of times when I have heard pushback on the word power. Yes. Yes. The sector doesn't like that word. Yeah. I, I, I can see there's where, a connotation in it and it's like, yes. there's an assumption in it. Is yeah, what there's it an is. assumption in it. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's fair. I mean, and, and the thing that you'll find for me across the board, why I don't get wrapped around the axle. There's two reasons why I don't get wrapped around the axle of conversations Two, There's an acronym I use called Q-tip. I never take a professional conversation personal. Hmm. I never do. And I say Q-tip it, quit taking it personal because I want to be able to have a professional conversation, even though it may make me feel some kind of way. It, it wasn't delivered to me personally. So, yeah, that's a great reminder that I <laughs> need to be micro aware of. It's just Q-tip. And that everybody needs to be, it's hard. It is very It's difficult. hard because it, you know, let's, there's a juxtaposition here, Ron, in, in even in what you're saying, not a contradiction, yes. but a juxtaposition. Yes. Quit taking it personal, and yet everything's about relationships and, and humanity and get to know me. Yes. So professional conversations are personal. Absolutely. They should be. They are. And yet they shouldn't. Yes. Right? <laughs> that's, because it, that, that's the nuance. Yeah, because it requires you to personally do something. 
so you can professionally grow. And the way that I say that, if I can't sit in that conversation with you and have that conversation of our differences of opinion, mm. how do I grow professionally? Yeah. Or personally. Yeah. So I, I think you're exactly right. It does feel uncomfortable. It, it is about something I got to think about or do personally. But if I'm going to get better, I personally got to do something. But when the person's trying to help me, they're coming from a professional angle. It, if they're trying to help you. If they're trying to help me. Now, here's the thing. And this, I think this is, this is a good reminder too. The quit taking it personal is easier when the person is not meaning it personal. Yes. But let me push back a little bit. Well, let me, let me finish and yes. then push back. It's harder when the person is obviously being yes. personal and it, and it is an attack. Yes. But even in that it's on us as to how we, how much bandwidth we want to give that person in yeah. our world. Yes. Even when they deliver it personal, you and I as leaders, and this is for every leader that's listening to us today. You will never, ever be evaluated or measured on what people do to you. You will always be held accountable for how you respond. I don't get better because of what you do or don't do to me. I get better and show up better based on what I do. So Or worse. Or worse. Yeah, so Because of what? Yeah, you don't yeah, get, yeah. Yeah, because nobody, hey, this happened to me. People hear it and they say, what did you do? That's the very next question. What exactly did you do? right. So I will tell you that even when it's delivered personal, I have to put in the space to not receive it and respond personally. 100%. And it's very difficult to do it oftentimes. But here's what I tell people. I say, man, Ron, that's really hard. I say, yeah, but you didn't say impossible. That's right. So it's not. It a, is hard. It, it is hard. And I want to acknowledge that. So the other thing I do, Patrick, is I always check myself and don't take it personal. Because there's something about me that may trigger something about me to take it personal. And it may land well on me. I always go back and say, oh, maybe that's not what they meant. And I, I, I turn it to. Mm. But the other thing I always do is. I'm, I'm willing to meet people where they are every single time. You I, are. You know, I've, I've watched it. Yeah. I, I watch. I see that. Yeah. So I think that's for, for leaders that are watching. If, if you really want to get more effective at it, I Q-tip it a lot. That's, I love that. Um, it's a coaching tenant, too, because when I'm coaching one-on-one -on -one with a leader, you know, I'll often hear, well, Joe, just this, that, and the other. And if Joe, and Joe, I don't like the way Joe talks to me, or Joe doesn't do his, or Joe this, or Joe that. And, and I tell them what. Dr. Jim Smith, my coach and trainer, <laughs> yes. always told us, you can't coach who's not in the room. Yeah, absolutely. So so you, you acknowledge it and you go, yeah, that, that sounds tough. Yes. If Joe's doing that, he probably shouldn't. What's your role? Yes. And how do you respond to that in a way that mitigates the dynamic you're experiencing? Yes. What's your role? What's It always comes back to, okay, but what about you? Yes. What about you? I had, um, I've told this story. I had an experience uh, with, with a group of people that I thought were completely in the wrong yes. and it was a conflict yes. and, and I whined about it and I had a great friend, colleague, mentor who I was whining to about yes. it. And I thought I was going to get to cry on her shoulder yes. and I didn't, she didn't give that to me. She put her finger in my face and she didn't say she get, she did this. She wagged her finger and she goes, be careful. I went, what? She goes, be careful I go, of what of projecting instead of being circumspect and introspect. The question is, what was your role in it? Yes. What could you, might you have done differently to change it? What could you, or might you do differently to move on from it? Yes. What have you learned from it about yourself? Not about them. And it, I, I didn't like it. Yes. It hurt. Yes. I was wanting, I was wanting sympathy at that time. 
oh, I can't believe, you know, Patrick, you're always right. I can't believe this group would go, you know, um, and she was 100% right. Yes. It's on me. Yeah. That's, that's the part of not taking it personal. Yeah. But, but I got to personally do something so I can get better. Yeah. 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 And I tell people, people like, well, how do you make, I say, it's not easy. I say, so please don't confuse the fact that I said it easy. That it's easy. That, that I carry it well, that it's not heavy. Mm-hmm. It is very heavy. But I, I really feel like, Patrick, I've been designed to deal with all yeah, of my experiences, yeah. all of my training, all of my education, all of my exposure and development has designed me to deal with it. Good. Why, so why don't I leverage what I've been designed to do versus try to figure out a way to get out of it? Mm. I bet our listeners forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. We got deeper on it. Let me move to another question. Um, your work at Global Court. Uh, yes. One of the things that you've seen and I've seen are is the... I don't know, I guess debate, um, but thought leadership out there that challenges the measurability of leadership development, yes. leadership development programs. Um, I, I've read things in Harvard Business Review, leadership development programs don't work. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a big blanket statement yes. that I can't agree with fully, but I also agree with. And so um, just in in helping your people do what they do and in having a business that's, you know, you're legit, you, you're 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 the professionals in this. Yes. How do you measure your success at global core? Like what, what are those kind of, do you have metrics? Is it, is it, is it a feel? Is it feedback? How do you measure success? Phenomenal question. I don't think on any podcast, anybody's really asked us about our company specifically. I think they asked me how do how do I measure success, but not global core. Mm -hmm. And so for global core, as my my wife and I look at how do we measure if we're really successful in our, in our industry, our business, I will tell you our very first thing that we look at is revenue, revenue and profitability. Okay. That's, that's, that's what that's we business. That's, that's what business. <laughs> that's the bit. It's a business. And so, mm-hmm. and so our, because in order to sustain and do the things we want to do, we got to create revenue and then we pay attention to profitability. Mm, that's good. So can we consistently create revenue that eventually turns into our first three years? We weren't profitable where, where my wife and I can get paid, but we were creating revenue. Okay. Top line looked great. Bottom line, you know, we, we weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. So we were creating revenue consistently, which let us know we had a viable product or service that people were interested in. Mm-hmm. If you can't create revenue or profitability, you don't have a viable service or product that people are interested in. It's hard to stay in business. Yep. Agreed. So I start there. The next thing I, I go to is cust- our, our, our customer service. Are our customers happy? External. If our customers are happy, they'll continue investing in what we're doing. How do you measure that? Customers, we, we, we actually do a couple of things. We put out surveys, we ask for feedback, we have constant conversations. In every project we have, we have check-ins with our customers. Every single, there's not a client we have that we don't check in with. Mm-hmm. And we don't check in on the end of the project. We check in quarterly on the project with the decision maker. Say, hey, we're at the table and here's some questions we ask. Why do, we, why do you still have us here? Yeah, full moment of transparency. That's an area I need to get better at. We really at, ask for it, Patrick. At our company because... We do, we do, I do check-ins. Yes. They're very, they're very organic, conversational. Yes. How's it going? Are we getting yes. you where you need? Are you feeling that you're at the right place? You know, so I do those check-ins because yeah. I need a feel for, you know, are we going off the rails? Or are we getting where you yes. need to go? Um, but I'm, one of the reasons I'm asking this question is because I'm looking at, at our business too, going, how, how do we measure? I have a few kind of measurements, uh, not, you know, not, I wouldn't call it data that we track and stuff, yes. but I've got some measurements, you know, repeat customers. Yes. If I do a strategic planning process with an organization and they want me to do their next one, that's a measure of success for me. And that's, you know, that's them saying 
this worked for us and we want it, to do it again. So that's one. It could be Patrick. Here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the challenge for you and I, and not just you, a repeat customer doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing a good job. I may be doing an average job and they didn't feel like looking for anyone else. Well, thanks, Ron. Thanks <laughs> so, for busting that balloon for so, me. So, so Here I, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I asked ourselves, I really asked our clients, why do you still have us here? And why haven't you selected anyone else? Yeah. Because those are the answers that I wash, rinse, and repeat without without making assumptions yeah. that they're happy with me. Yeah, and and I will say that in those conversations I'm talking about, one here's what I love to hear, and I hear it a lot, fortunately, yes. is um, I'll see someone six months after you know, I've engaged with them in strategic planning, yes. and I'll say, "How's it going? Oh, we're kicking, like we are knocking this thing out. You would yes. be so proud of us. The the execution, we're." man, we're, this was the right thing. Yes. And I've heard, I, you know, you hear, yeah, I know you've heard this. Yes. That's a measure yes. uh, uh, of success. Well, but, but, but Patrick, I know you well enough. And the one thing I really admire about you is the question. So when that statement is made, I've learned from you time and time again, what's the next question yeah. about what they just said? Yeah. Not about the next. So I don't want to take them off the rails and say, phenomenal, congratulations. Tell me what it is that I've done to help you achieve it. Yeah. Or even tell me, tell me how you're doing it differently. After engaging with us. Yeah. 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 So so how you're doing it differently. Yeah. After engaging with us. So I think for me, those are measurements. So I want to get to the real root of what, what have we done for you that you couldn't have done for yourself? So that's another measurement. The other thing I tell you in business that we do. So when we get past the customer, Patrick, the next thing we go to is our, our, our staff uh, retainability. Are the people on our team happy with working for us? Sure. Because if they're not happy working for us, then we can't produce and deliver what we need to deliver. Mm -hmm. So I look at that. The next thing I look at, honestly, which is going to take us back to if we're successful, is how are we changing and growing and embracing technology, AI. Mm -hmm. I go back to the things that's happening around us that allow us to serve our clients and customers better. So are we embracing the changes that are happening? If we're not embracing changes, then we're missing the opportunity to stay relevant and successful. So that's a measurement for us. So when you look at when we first started, uh, everything wasn't automated. 80% of our business can be automated now and we've embraced that versus we stayed where we were. So I'll challenge that one on for you yes. or just to kind of give it that. So you could, you could say the fact that we have embraced AI yes. is a success indicator. Yes. Or not. Yes. Because if the fact that we've just embraced something, how many, when, when Facebook was really mm -hmm. blowing up. Yes. Right. And everybody said, we need a Facebook page. Yes. And they considered themselves successful mm -hmm. if they had a Facebook page and they had X number of followers. If have, you follow metrics, right? yes. We have, we have 500 followers on our Facebook page yes. now. We're really getting awareness in the community. Yes. Is that an indicator? So, yes, I've embraced it. it have, I, have I embraced it for the, for the right reasons? Has it driven impact as a result of embracing it? Or has embracing it maybe given me a false sense of... Of success. of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're, you're, you're valid. And those are the questions that we're asking when we said, hey, how do you measure your success of your company? So if you go look, we don't push a lot of our business on Facebook. Now, are we on Facebook? Absolutely. But we couldn't tie revenue back to Facebook. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't tie customer satisfaction back no, to that's Facebook. Because, because that's not how you market that's your business. That's not how we market yeah. our business. So I will tell you, you're absolutely right. So you got to figure out which one's working for you. But the question is phenomenal. If you're not asking this question in your business, you're setting yourself up for not as much success as you can. I won't say you're going to fail because that's, that's, a, that's not actually 100% accurate. But you, what gets measured 
does get improved if you if you listen to it. Data, here's what I do say publicly. Data drives two things for our company. Decisions and dollars. Every single day. Yeah. I make every decision about how we're going to spend money based off of data. And money, my decisions or our data will drive dollars. Dollars, actually, data gives me say, hey, Ron, your company's growing. It's getting this and you're, 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 in, you're in more states than you were before. Data. Oh, you got to hire people. Data told me that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I use data for a couple of things. Data always, always for us is important because it drives dollars and decisions. You know, I, I've had that. I think you know this. That is a challenge for yes. the nonprofit sector. Yes. How are we met? We have this wonderful sounding mission and vision. It's not even wonderful sounding. It's wonderful. Yes, it, it is. We're, we're, we're improving lives. Yes. What data tells you that you're actually advancing that mission in a notable way? What data tells you that your programs you're delivering could be improved here and here and here? Yes. What data tells you you need to get rid of a program that ain't doing squat toward your mission? Those are the questions, um, Patrick. And we, those, but those are, those, that requires <laughs> like systems and, and competence and time and bandwidth and honesty. And, yes. you know, it's like when, when I was in the United Way world and we got into requiring our, fundees to do outcome measurement of their programs. Okay. Well, those that many of them that did it, did it only because we made them do it in that grant application. And we kept trying to tell them that is the wrong reason to do this. Yes. We're trying to teach you to do it because it makes you better. Absolutely. At delivering on your mission. Yeah, absolutely. I had a client um, last week. Um, We did, did an assessment and we got the data. And so I walk in the room and I get ready to deliver to the client. And I say, hey, what, at what level do you, you know, I just ask a simple question um, to, to build, you know, cohesion with the teams. Hey, do you, do you trust each other? Absolutely, Ron. I say, great, let's see what the data says. And I just pull it up and let them analyze the data on their own. They say, Ron, we, we're not as good as we thought we were. Mm. I say, tell me more. I didn't even make a statement. Right. I just let them see the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because data begin to help it's them. It's a mirror. Make, yeah, so they say, yeah, we, we have work to do. What would that work be? Yeah. Why do you, why what do you, you think's driving this day? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will tell you that, you know, at the end of the day, I had to learn this in our company because, you know, I was going off of how I felt and I was in places and people were liking me and they were on Facebook or LinkedIn and they were following me. And I had to stop and say, okay, that's great. But what does the data say? Mm-hmm. Like, what are people bringing us back for? What problems or solutions are we, are we solving? So going back to DEI. Yes. <laughs> what does the data say? This is, so I'm not a DEI expert, but you know, as you can imagine, I'm not working with a, I don't think I'm working with a client who doesn't, who isn't making it a part of their framework or wanting to understand it or make Mm -hmm. it a part of their strategy. And so when they ask me about it, well, you know, where does, where does DEI weave into the strategic plan? My question is always, you tell me, Yes. what does your data tell you is your work in DEI? Does your data tell you that your board is all white men over 50? Does your data tell you that there's a third grade reading gap in your community between kids of color and, yes. and you know, does your data tell, I mean, the DEI work, I, I, I've done an episode, I've done episodes on this and mentioned yes. it many times. I've, I had to develop some kind of framework, yes. even though I'm not an expert. And so I created a, a, a 5d framework. Yes. Actually, I created a 3d framework and uh, my good friend, Molly Metz, at the Mary Black Foundation in Spartanburg, who is doing tremendous work in equity, 
uh, help me refine it into five. So D number one, define the terms. Yes. You don't even know what DEI means. Get your board and your staff and your stakeholders together and in agreement on your operational definitions of these terms before you start saying we're doing DEI. We don't even yes. know what equity is. Yes. We don't even know what inclusion means for us. Awareness. Right. Yeah. D number two, what does your data tell you? Yes. How does your data inform where your DEI work is and what your DEI work yes. is? Yes. Or are you just saying, well, we got to do DEI. Because someone else data said it. Because, you know. It's the thing. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. If we don't, grantees are requiring, <laughs> yes. grantors are requiring it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, what's your data say yes. that is your opportunity? If you can, if you can identify in the data an opportunity, people can get their head around that. Yes. D number three, with the data and the definitions, now you can set a direction. Yes. Your plan. Yes. Okay. What do you do about it? D number four, do it. Get to the doing. Yes. Stop the t enough talking. Do do yes, the work. You've the defined work. it. You've work. got data that tells you. You've set a direction. Do what you've said you're going to do. Yes. D number five is sort of, uh, I don't know, I, I like to relate it to John Maxwell's fifth <laughs> level of uh, leadership personhood, yes. right? So D number five is demonstration. Yes. Am I to the point now where I can teach others how we've done this in a way that's practical for them? Um so demonstrating, demonstrating, not meaning doing demonstrating, meaning teaching. Yes. And I'm, I'm quick to emphasize if we do more teaching and less preaching, we'll make progress on it. Yeah. So get the data, define the terms, set a direction, do it and help others that haven't been on that path. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a solid platform. I mean, so as you look at like the framework that you've, you've built or, or that you're using, isn't it's, you got to have a framework in everything that you do. Oh, I love frameworks. Yeah, you have to have a framework. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's unrealistic for you to think that you can blindly go about getting it done without the framework. That's right. So I think you're you're solid in, in offering a framework. So if you're not using anything, then Patrick just gave you five things. You know, when you're going to talk about DEI, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's gonna it's, it's relevant. And here's why. You know, for us, it's it's relevant. You know, if you look at the world of society where we're headed to, there there are three things that 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 people care about right now. They care about the economy. I don't care what your background is. People are concerned about where is the economy headed? What is it doing? That That's important. The economy is important to everybody, whether yeah. across the world. People care about social issues. Do they care about all the same social issues? No, but they care about social issues. I haven't met a human being that don't care about any social issues. Right. Whether it's hunger. Because whether, we live in a society. We live, we live in a society. <laughs> so social issues are important. Well, if you're in corporate America, you're running a company, you better pay attention to the economy and be able to pay attention to someone on your, on your team cares about the economy. And it's important for us to know what is it they care about the economy. What do they care about social issues? Because it will impact everything that you get to do. Yep. If you can't have this conversation in the room, right. you're behind. And they care about governance. Mm. Every cares, everyone cares about how are you going to govern policies and procedures in your organization. So ESG is real. It's happening. Economy, social, and governance is in every conversation, in every boardroom. Whether you're talking about it or not, it's happening. Whether you're using the term, whether you're using the term or not, <laughs> you're talking about it. You're talking about yeah, it. So yeah. every look, think of RFPs when they come out. I promise you, every RFP is talking about economy. I hate RFPs, by the way. Hey, I, I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of them. I, I live with. Them. I appreciate yeah. it. I guess sometimes yeah. when I get them, but I don't. I don't like. Them. Yeah. yeah, another. Every, uh, it's another episode. Yeah, but every RFP, you, we need to pay attention to ESG now because every company is going to be held accountable to what are you doing in the economy? How does it make an impact? What social issues are you going to address with this? And what governance? Yes. 
and yeah. <laughs> some of those RFPs put it in there and they don't even know what it is. They don't Absolutely. even know. They like, I, I had, um, yeah, they just, they don't, they, they don't they, know. They, it's supposed to be in their RFP. Yes. But they, they wouldn't know it if they saw it. Absolutely. So our role now is when we walk in, it gives us an upper hand. Like I tell people, I literally don't, I Q-tip it real quick because you can get irritated with someone asking you for something they don't know how to explain. So I Q-tip it real fast <laughs> and say, no problem. Here's what we're going to do around ESG. Here's where it's going to impact. So everything we're going to do economically, this is what it's going to do for your company. This is what it's going to do for the community that you're serving and live in. By the way, the social issues, if you get this right, your leaders can do this and hire right and fire right and terminate right or promote right or develop right. It's changing the social impact and the footprint of your organization. What is it doing for governance? It's letting people know not only are you saying it on your board, you're actually living it throughout your behavior. Uh, that's good. And whether they hire you or not, they just learned something that they didn't know in 30 seconds. And I had to Q-tip it to be able to do that for them. That's right. That's good. Man, that's good. All right, last question. Yes. Uh, just tell me some of the, I don't know, go wherever you want with this, but I'm interested. I'm always interested in what you're seeing. We share a little bit of space in our work, but mostly probably not. I am curious as to what are, what would you say are the, the things that are rising to the top consistently? What are the trends? What are the challenges you hear over and over among the leaders you're coaching and helping? Um, or maybe what are some cool things that you're seeing consistently? What, yeah. what right now are the trends for you that you're seeing? Yeah, I would say that the things that I'm seeing that are becoming more challenging is, is the, the deterioration of trust. I, I, Patrick, if, if I got a dollar for every time that, that we have those conversations, I can probably stop running a business. It's, it's, it's frustrating to watch it happen, but it is happening. So trust is at an all-time what low. What do you think's driving it? Insecurities, um, judgment, biases, divisiveness, politics, religion, you name it, whatever flavor you have of the day, all that's contributing to it. You know what I think is one, I agree with all of that. I think all of those are. There's one I would add to that list and it comes back to the virtual. People who are not in a workplace today yeah. and, and their CEOs have to trust mm -hmm. that they're, you know, I've asked CEOs recently who have rem all remote work. Do you know what John's doing right now? What do you think John is doing right now? Well, I, 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 I hope he's doing such and such. Yeah, but how much do you trust that? I mean, to, to your point of the erosion of trust, how about the software programs? I read about this, I think, yes. in the Times um, last year. The software programs for remote workers that uh, that alert you, alert a supervisor if there's been more than 30 seconds of no keyboard activity. Yeah, which, you know, or like, I mean, that's, that is saying we do not trust you. Absolutely. And, and you think about it, we've gotten to a place, you know, so I, I totally agree that, yeah, technology plays a role, but let's, let's back it up a little bit. Yeah, technology, but, but there was a, we didn't have technology before. And we didn't see people all the time because we didn't have the technology we have today, but we trusted more, even though we didn't see people. So I didn't have to see everything like my grandfather, my grandfather born in, eight, in, in 1888. And he didn't see every pastor in the community, but he trusted every pastor in the community. 
there was a sense of I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. We've lost the ability to it, it actually was a default. Do. It was a default was in default. the culture. You trusted someone until they gave you a reason not to. Today, the, it's you don't trust someone until they earn it. It's totally changed. It's it, flipped. But we haven't even, most of us, honestly, we have to get better at making sure. And you've heard me say this is in one of our books. Your audio has to match your video. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to do what you say. You go, I don't, yeah, I agree technology. Yeah, I agree that religion. Yeah, I agree. But people have stopped doing what they say they're going to do consistently. Yeah. I, I, too I, many shortcuts. Yeah. Too I, many. Let me, let me win it quick. Let me get it easy. And, and versus let me put the work in. And if I told Patrick, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Even if it costs me something, I'm going to follow through. Yeah. And, and you know, it, that's a simple, you and I have both referenced, I think many times Covey's book on trust and the speed of trust. Um, you know, Covey gives what a dozen or so behave I think it's 13 behaviors that drive trust, very specific ones. Yes. One of them is do what you say. Do what you say you're going to do. But another one is extend trust. Yes. That's one of the behaviors. I have to actually extend trust to you. Yes. And we're not good at that. We're not good at that. No. And we're getting worse at it. Yes. Leaders get frustrated when I tell leaders that. What do you mean I have to trust them? I say, that's how you build trust. Yeah. I say, it's like a, it's like a, here, here's what I would tell leaders that are listening to this. Like that's, it's, if, if you go back to looking at a, a pump, a, you know, outside outdoor pump and you, mm-hmm. you want to get a pump going, the first thing it tells you after you get it installed is to put water in it. You must prime it for it to give you what you want. So if you want me to, to, to give you some trust, you're going to have to give it to me first. Yeah. Leaders must automatically extend trust in order to receive it. It's great analogy what else are you seeing what are some other trends challenges I, good I do, things i do see us a, 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 a certain part of our society wanting to this dei stuff i do see people wanting to figure it out together and and i see that we're not leaving it in the hands of politicians i'm so happy about that because i don't think we're making good political decisions on on, on, on any, any side of that i think we're making some major mistakes everything shouldn't be political I start to see everyday people like you and I that are running businesses, that live in communities. They say, we're going to stop depending on Washington to make every decision for us. And I'm starting to see local people get more involved. And I'm really happy about that. Our young people, now I don't agree with everything that they're thinking, but I'm happy they're getting into conversations. I'm happy that they're, st- they're not sitting on the sidelines waiting to, when I grew up, it's wait your turn. I'm happy that the young people are not waiting their turn. And their pay t- your dues. Yeah, yeah, and pay your dues. You're not ready yet. You haven't done this yet. You haven't done that yet. You haven't been here long enough. Your shoes are still new. That doesn't mean I left my brain out the room. So we're starting to allow people to add value where they are and respect that you don't have to be 40 to 50 years old to be considered an expert at doing what you're doing. That doesn't mean that because there are some people that are 20 that are not ready to not, not an expert yet. And there's some people that are 50 that are not experts yet. I think we'll get becoming more, more conscious of how do we allow people to be their authentic selves and appreciate people for who they are until they give you reason not to. Now, one of the things I'm really concerned about is we're less forgiven. Mm. as a society. If you mess up one time, you're almost done. And social media is doing that. Technology is doing that. People will destroy you if you mess up one time. You're canceled. Yeah. And, and, and and they will also destroy you if you messed up one time 20 years ago and it just, and we found out about it. (laughs) It's like a, you know, uh, I, my son gave me a quote. I hadn't, I hadn't heard this, but I'm using it all the time now. It's one of the best things I've ever heard. Heraclitus the Greek philosopher. Yes. This is so powerful. Um, a man cannot step in the same river twice because it is not the same river. 
and he's not the same man. Wow. Yes. So Marshall Goldsmith talks about this in his book too. He says, you know, you ever hear people say things like, I'm not the man I was 10 years ago. He says, you're not the man you were 10 seconds ago. Yes. Scientifically, biologically, you are not the man you were 10 seconds ago. Spiritually. You're not the same. You're not. So, so that is, uh, I I think we could, we would do well to remember that. Yes. And not hold people, not, you know, crucify people for something they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 (laughs) seconds ago. If, if there's authenticity of look, you know, we all slip up. Yes. Yes. You know, there's a lot of glass house, uh, glass houses getting shattered <laughs> these yeah. days, I think, because people are throwing those stones. Yeah. Like, like crazy. Here's, here's what I would say. You know, you ask, you know, what, what do I always try to reflect on or, or, or do for me personally is I'm very forgiven. I tell people that in a heartbeat, I'm, I'm very forgiven. Do I get frustrated? Do I not like things and do things happen? Yes. I Q-tip it. I'm forgiven about it. But here's what I've learned for me personally is that, you know, I look at society and, and, and naturally you and I, you know, we'll get older naturally. Here's what I do know for sure, though. You don't get better automatically. Right. Time, just because time passes don't mean I got better. Yeah. And I intentionally say, how do I get better? And I do that by engaging people in all walks of life. I'm constantly learning. I'm even constantly learning me. Like what, what matters to me today was different than when I was 20. I had an underperforming employee once who reminded me that he had 10 years of experience. Yes. And, and, you know, I had just heard this line and I used it. And the question was, do you, Yes. or do you have one year of experience that you've repeated 10 times? Yes. And which is important because that, that can be very accurate. It's, it's true. Yeah. But we think tenure means experience. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Um, or, or at least it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily mean wisdom or growth. Yeah, it doesn't mean there was growth. I mean, you can have ten years and still be in the same space. Yeah. You know, even though everything around you has changed, you stayed in that same spot for for ten years and haven't done anything. And I tell people that that are on our team, I'm always looking for what else have you done to get better, because a corporation can't get better if individuals won't get better. Mm. I don't care what corporation it is. Yeah, because we're people. You got to get better. Yeah. Like like Global Core can't get better. If you stay the same and you with me for three years, you've actually right. held me back. Uh, that's right. That's right. Or, or yeah. Or, or, or sent you backwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're out there, if you want your corporation to get better, you get better first. Yeah. You get better first. That's good. What else, man? What else you got on your mind that you invest, need to invest in yourself? Like, like a coach, a consultant, mm-hmm. you know, someone that's around you, that's helping you sharpen your saw, yeah. sharpen your saw, get better. Like literally invest in you. It's amazing that, Oftentimes we'll buy the car or buy the house or buy the suit and buy the tie, but we haven't done anything to change the brain. <laughs> I'm letting that sit for a second. That's so true. Well, thank you for having me, Patrick. Ron, I'm the one that needs to be thanking you. Thank you. You, you make me sick. Your voice makes me sick. Your intelligence makes me sick. No, man, I love you. I love do grow from you. Yeah. I, I, you, you, you push us, man. You make us better. Thank you. Thanks, folks. All right. Lead on, y'all.